Right, go ahead with the logic. Okay, Mark, logic one and two, Mark. Houston, we are set. We have a cryo press light. Roger, copy, cryo press light. Apollo 11, this is uh, Houston. Minus 10, 9, 8. We have a go for main engine start. We have main engine start. 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Hello and welcome to Space Gen, the show where you find out all the latest from the space industry. You can catch our episodes on X-Ray FM every Wednesday at 8 a.m. or on SoundCloud by searching Space Gen. I'm your host, Daniel Trainer, and let's get into the news. So now, when we talk about space in the 2020s, we're going to experience a massive change in how we communicate with each other, especially with SpaceX's Starlink satellite constellation. I mean, there's already been multiple launches that have been completed, and the network should be online for the public at the end of 2020. And we're only now just starting to find out what the user experience for the internet service is kind of going to be like. So Elon, he's got this very ambitious plan to build a network of satellites in the tens of thousands in numbers. And eventually, if the plan works out, it's going to deliver internet connections to pretty much anywhere on the planet. Uh, Nowhere that an ISP or anything could go. So it's going to be a big improvement. Back on Earth, subscribers to Starlink, they're going to need special hardware, obviously, to get online. And SpaceX, they're not quite ready to show off the so-called Starlink terminals yet. But obviously, that hasn't stopped Elon from sharing anything early. Uh, He said that the device is going to look thin, flat, round, kind of like a UFO on a stick. So a circular antennae on top of an extended pole, which is trying to lift it from anything that could be blocking the line of sight. So the setup should be pretty easy. Uh, Elon said that the Starlink terminal has motors to self-adjust optimal angle to the view of the sky, removing any need for people to figure out where the constellation might be and adjust the terminal as it moves through the sky. He literally said you just point it at the sky and plug it in. That's like, it's the easiest possible way to connect to the internet. Technical details for getting Starlink up and running are still one of the challenges, but SpaceX has made it very clear that it intends to launch Starlink services prior to the full completion of the constellation, at least in North America, but the exact date is yet to be announced. Now, Boeing. So we've heard about Boeing's Starliner spacecraft suffering serious setbacks during test flights, and now NASA is facing a high-stakes dilemma. Should the space agency require the company to repeat the uncrewed test flights, and should it just allow it to go to the next flight uh, as originally planned? But that's going to have astronauts aboard. So the answer is very important, especially when you're putting people's lives on the line. And NASA, they're already struggling to kind of resume human spaceflight from the US years after the space shuttle fleet got retired back in 2011. So this forcing Boeing to redo the test flight without anybody on board, that's going to be really costly possibly requiring the already embattled company, which is, again, struggling from consequences of two deadly crashes of its 737 MAX airplanes, 
to spend tens of millions of dollars to demonstrate that its new spacecraft is capable of meeting the space station in orbit. But if NASA moved ahead with the uncrewed flight and something went wrong and put astronauts in danger, the space agency would come under withering criticism that could plague it for decades into the future. So for now, NASA, they're moving very cautiously and they formed an independent team within Boeing to examine what went wrong with the Starliner during last month's test flight. NASA also is kind of reviewing the data to help determine whether the capsule achieved enough objectives during its truncated flight to assure NASA that its astronauts would be safe. And on December 20th, 2019, an Atlas V rocket lifted off from Cape Canaveral, delivering the Starliner into space. But soon after, when it was on its own, the Starliner suffered a huge software bug and its onboard clock went off 11 hours. So as a result, the engines that would have put on a trajectory with the space station failed to fire. And while the other thrusters, which are designed to keep the capsule stable, did fire, expended precious fuel. But Boeing officials regained control of the spacecraft and were able to complete several objectives, including maneuvering the capsule, having it communicate with the space station, and deploying the docking system to see whether it would even work in a real-life situation. But the spacecraft had consumed so much fuel to make it to the station that officials, they just had to cancel that part of the mission. So two days after that had launched, the Starliner landed safely in the New Mexico desert, days ahead of schedule. And officials from NASA and Boeing, they went out of their way to highlight the things that went well during the mission. I mean, you had Jim Bridenstine, which is NASA's administrator, say, we're all very excited that a whole lot of things did go right, went very, very well, as a matter of fact. You could argue that some of the hardest parts of the mission have now been proved to be very capable. But he did say the teams would have to figure out what went wrong before allowing crews on board. Docking with the space station is a really delicate endeavor, and it's a key part of the program, which is designed to give NASA a way to get its astronauts there and back safely. Bridenstine said, I'm not saying we're going to do it, but I'm not ruling it out either. And he was obviously talking about proceeding with a crewed flight. Quote, remember when we had the space shuttles? Every single one of those missions was crewed from day one. The very first time we launched the space shuttle, it had people on board. These are not things that are new to NASA, but I want to make sure we understand what the challenges were and get those fixed to make sure there's not some larger systematic problem. Some industry officials said that they think Boeing has already got a kind of clear sense of what happened and they were able to fix it without much difficulty. But if NASA does force Boeing to perform another test flight, it's not clear who would have to pay the tens of millions of dollars to do such a mission. NASA's contract with Boeing is a fixed price contract, meaning the payments to Boeing are contingent on hitting certain milestones and the amount of those payments should not change. Boeing's contract with NASA specifically says it shall include an uncrewed orbital test flight. The International Space Station demonstrates the, quote, automated rendezvous and proximity operations and docking with the ISS, assuming ISS approval. Bridenstine did not say if he would be requiring them to pay or if NASA had ordered the additional uncrewed test flight. It's an issue that still remains unsettled, but NASA spokesman Joshua Finch said any contractual implications would be informed by the in-depth review and analysis of data obtained from the company's uncrewed orbital flight test. NASA and Boeing would determine what additional data is required and the optimal approach for obtaining it. 
and that we expect this process to take several weeks. NASA did say that if they had astronauts on that flight uh, with the Boeing spacecraft last month, they probably could have taken manual control of the spacecraft and flown it totally safely to the International Space Station. For the first flight crews, NASA has chosen a pair of former military test pilots, astronauts Nicole Mann and Mike Fink. Joining them would be a former NASA astronaut, Chris Ferguson, who now works for Boeing. Between them, Fink and Ferguson have been to space more than six times, and the trio has years of experience flying all sorts of military aircraft. Scott Kelly, who's the former NASA astronaut who spent nearly a year in space, said, You couldn't have asked for a better crew for the mission. Their capability to fly this flight is not in question. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they flew the next flight with people on it. Last year, SpaceX, which was the other company contracted by NASA to fly astronauts to the ISS, successfully docked with its Dragon Crew spacecraft, and there was no issues. The company's cargo spacecraft has been to the space station about 20 times since 2012, delivering experiments and supplies. SpaceX is scheduled to test the Dragon Crew's emergency abort system probably around later this month, and they hope to fly astronauts within the next few months. And NASA knows how difficult and dangerous human spaceflight is. I mean, in 1986, it lost the crew of the space shuttle Challenger. And seven astronauts were killed in 2003 when Columbia came apart before landing. So calculating risks is particularly difficult on new spacecraft, such as the Starliner. So overall, safety is a number one priority, and NASA are definitely not going to rush it just to meet a deadline. So on a more positive note, we've got some news for us here on the West Coast, and it comes from Blue Origin. They've just opened their new headquarters in Kent, Washington. Now, the facility has a capacity for 1,500 people for operations, as well as research and development. Blue Origin expects to have a busy 2020 as it comes around to get the suborbital New Shepard spacecraft ready to carry humans, and its works on the uncrewed Blue Moon Lander to send payloads to the lunar surface. And we know the company has formed a team with Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, and Draper to build also a crewed lunar lander for NASA's Human Artemis program. Now, Blue Origin CEO Bob Smith said, We grew by a third last year, and we're going to continue to grow at a rapid pace. For those of you that are Washington State residents, what is exciting is we're going to be doing all of this work from a headquarters based here in Kent. It's a remarkable statement to say that we're going to fly humans to space, we're going to build and design large engines and a large orbit rocket, and we're going to go back to the moon all through the work centered here. The main hub is called the O'Neill Building, named after Jared O'Neill, a physicist who did several studies on human settlements in space. And the building's on a 30-acre land plot, which includes 13 acres for wildlife, protection against invasive species, and flood storage. So with this really cool building, I think Blue Origin's got a very bright future, and it's really nice to see it's coming from the West Coast. So let's move over now into Starship. It's been a real while, and over the past few weeks at the SpaceX's Boca Chica facility, the team's been making a lot of progress at a pace that's quite unprecedented, even for the famously agile rocket company. Ever since SpaceX's original Mark I Starship prototype spectacularly failed during a November 2017 pressure test, the company's been rapidly rearranging and modifying and developing its schedule for the next generation of full reusable rockets. Be in it, a side effect or a coincidence began closing its Florida Starship factory about a week after Mark I's demise, 
and even shipped some of the Florida-based Starship hardware over to Texas in the recent weeks. And it's key to note that most of the Florida workforce, it was like 80%, reportedly redirected elsewhere in the company to avoid layoffs. Some portion obviously got moved to Texas and joined the Starship Boca Chica team, and given that just how aggressively SpaceX has been expanding its local facilities and preparing new hardware for the next round of improved Starship prototypes, it seems quite likely that there's going to be a lot of accelerated building. Most recently, SpaceX's latest steps towards demonstrating that it has substantially improved the manufacturing quality arrived in the form of a single propellant tank. Quickly named Bopper, which is short for Baby Starhopper, the miniature Starship test article came together at a true Truly spectacular pace. I mean, this thing really got welded quick. Even for SpaceX, moving a prototype from factory to the test site hours after its primary structure was welded together, that represents an almost like this insane fast paced work. Uh, truly, this is not normal for traditional aerospace. And before the dawn on January 10th, SpaceX technicians and engineers, they were intentionally going to blow up this miniature Starship tank in order to test the recently upgraded manufacturing and assembly methods likely to be used on the first Starships that are going to go orbital. Now, SpaceX CEO Elon Musk quickly weighed in on Twitter later on the day, saying that the crucial details about the Starship tank test effectively were confirmed that it was a success. I mean, for turnaround time of production and testing, it went really well. So Starship production is going awesome. Now, in our solar system, we have a nice big orange gas giant, and it's called Jupiter. It's the biggest planet in the solar system, but it might not actually be a protector as we previously thought. Jupiter has been catching and passing rocks and kind of flinging them at Earth. Physicist Kevin Grazier and astrobiologist John T. Horner say that they have laid to rest the beliefs that Jupiter protect our inner planets. Grazier, who has actually worked for NASA, consulted on the science fiction production like Battlestar Galactica and Gravity, said, quote, Our simulations show that Jupiter is just as likely to send comets at Earth as deflect them away, and we've seen that in the real solar system. Horner at the University of Southern Queensland said, It takes things that threaten Earth and flings them away, clearing space nearing our planet. So in that sense, it's something of a shield. On the flip side though, it takes things that come out of nowhere near Earth and flings them our way, meaning it's also a threat. Icy bodies in our outer solar system, known as centaurs, can be pulled in by Jupiter's immense gravity, and it turns them into potentially deadly comets. This was great in Earth's early years. It's believed, you know, you had these early comets, asteroids, and they were coming to Earth, bringing essentials for life. But now that we've made it a home here, it wouldn't be so great if it is now. Grazier said, we already know that Earth is in a cosmic crosshairs, so there's hundreds of near-Earth objects that potentially could be hazardous. I think now we just have to pay more attention to see what happens a bit farther away in Jupiter's neighborhood. So maybe having a space force to protect our planet would be something pretty obvious, but I guess we'll just have to watch and see what happens going further into 2020. Again, this is all news we just had in the last week. This is how quick things are starting to move, and as I've said before, we really are heading into a new space age. So if you like hearing about the news, make sure to tune in every Wednesday at 8am on X-Ray FM, or on SoundCloud by searching Space Gen. I'm your host, Daniel Trainer, and I'll see you next time.